From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. Now, regarding your questions about the young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command from the Lord for them. But the Lord in His mercy has given me the wisdom that can be trusted. And I will share it with you because of this present crisis. I think it is best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. And if you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. So Paul jumps in and he's really bringing an end cap to almost everything he's been talking about in 7. Because he wants to, remember he's answering questions from them. He's, he's going through systematically and trying to work through the questions that they're asking him. And I want to just highlight a few ideas. I'm going to work through the rest of this and we're going to call out some verses. I love his statement, which is in essence, remain as you are. If you're married, stay married. If not, don't seek it. But in the end, if you want to, it's not sin. He just has this very gracious, relaxed demeanor towards it. And I think the invitation he's extending to all of us and to this Corinthian culture is probably a, a topic that's hard for most of us. Rest in your place in life. How many would agree that there is almost a hardwired ambition in our culture that would almost teach us that if we rest where we are, we're somehow not achieving. That we drive forward. And Paul just simply says, rest in your place in life. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about being lazy? No, he's talking about this contentment thing that we worked on before. Just settle where you're at. And he targets a specific group of, of people. The first group is young people. We've been talking about husbands and wives quite a bit. I want to talk about young people for a second. What is Paul really saying? Is he saying, close yourself off to relationships, don't worry about it? No, that's not what he's saying at all. I think what he's saying is learn the principle of contentment in the kingdom. No matter what situation you're in, be content. And I think he's combating something that was there, is my guess. We know it's here. There's this complex in society right now, which is the... I need a mate to be complete. If I just had this person, if I, could just, if, I, if I wasn't single, if I wasn't lonely. And Paul's saying, time out. You are so misunderstanding your value to your father. You, as you are, just you, matter to him. You don't have to add someone to you to find fulfillment. I know that's such a popular idea. And I would just love to submit to us that we stop believing that we are incomplete without a coupling relationship. That is what our culture teaches us. Am I saying marriage is bad? No. Neither is Paul. Paul's saying if that's what you want to do, great. But here's what I really think that Paul's getting at. Marrying to solve our insecurities is not what Jesus intended for us. He intended 
the intimate relationship with him to be the foundation of who we are and we're complete, we're settled with him and then we partner our lives with someone else who's complete and settled with him. But all too often, we allow our insecurity and our dysfunction to drive us towards relationships because it helps us feel less insecure and less inadequate and those very things end up 10, 15 years down the line blowing up marriages and Paul's trying to save this culture from that. Because he says, however, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And everybody said, amen. The word troubles here. And he, he, he goes on, he says, I'm trying to spare you those problems. The word troubles are pressure. It's the idea of pressing two objects together. If you take a hammer and you take a piece of wood and you press them together, one of them is going to end up with an indelible mark. This is the idea that Paul's talking about. Relationships are work. Paul's honest about them. And there are complications and struggles that are going to make that coupling relationship difficult. If you're here this morning and you're in a marriage and you're like, my marriage is so tough, I think Paul was telling us that. I want us to take a deep breath and realize tough is kind of normal. So let's, because the enemy loves to whisper when it's tough, you married the wrong person, get out. See, if you had the right person, it'd go smooth for you. It'd be so easy. And Paul's like, wait, time out. Relationships are tough. They're difficult. I don't see this as a, a heavy-handed, difficult thing. I see it as an encouragement. That way, when my marriage is tough, I can look at the scripture and go, yep, it's real. And Paul's saying, if you chose to abstain from marriage and just give yourself fully to the Lord, you would be free of those difficulties. That's just a fact. I think it's interesting that the, teach, the scriptures teach that marriage is difficult even to people that aren't. Because I think the expectation of the, of the Lord is that we go into marriages with our eyes open to the reality that it's difficult and it's going to be work. We go in with our hearts set towards this thing. We go in maybe with an open mind to say, I'm in a marriage. I'm probably going to need to get some counseling fairly regularly. Guys, if you're here and you're too stubborn to get counseling because your marriage is tough, knock it off and get some counseling. Marriages matter, right? We learned this in the front part of 1 Corinthians 7. Healthy marriages are a scrubbing agent against immorality in a culture. That's what Paul teaches. So doing marriage well matters. So when the Bible tells us marriage is tough, it's going to be work, there's going to be pressure in it, we should settle in our hearts. Okay, now I know it's going to be tough. It's not always going to be rosy. When it gets tough, I'm going to hit it head on and fix it as worship unto the Lord, because I understand my marriage in the culture I'm in has supernatural authority. And so it's not okay for me to do this thing poorly. Amen, Greg. Good job. The Paul says, but dear brothers and sisters, let me say this. The time that remains is very short, so from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Paul says, do marriage well, but understand, it's not your only focus. Wait, time out. How many have been taught, my spouse is everything? That's my number one priority. Raise them up, let me see. 
How many have kind of lived there a little bit? President of the club. Paul actually says that's not right. Paul says there, are something, there is something else that trumps that. Is he saying disregard your marriage, you don't care about it? No. He's saying have a priority system that is correct. Jesus trumps marriage. He's our first responsibility. We love our spouses. We do well by them. We take care of them as unto him. But we cannot make it our sole focus in life. Anything that supersedes our affection for Jesus is idolatry. Anything. Because we're first servants of him, worshipers of him, and then we live out of that place to everyone else around us. Do I think my wife is number two? Yes, no question. But she's not number one. Because if she's number one, I worship her, and she's human, and she will fail me. And if I'm number one for her, she'll worship me, and I'm human, and I will fail her. There is only one that's worthy of that kind of affection, and it's Jesus. And if you're here and your frustration is my spouse isn't, they're, they're just not doing it for me. There's just so many things that they need to. If they did this, if they did this, stop it. Get on your face. Find yourself alone before the Lord. Ask him to meet those places of brokenness so you can love them instead of putting upon them the expectation to fix all the brokenness in you. He says, those who weep or, or rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or, or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. And I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. So Paul says, look, go through the journeys of life, the ups and the downs. Focus on your business. But understand, even that is not your number one priority. And for some of us men specifically, business becomes the great thing that we chase because we have a sense if I just provide well, even if I'm an abysmal failure at everything else in life, I did my job. Provision, right? We all feel it. How many men feel that thing? You can't even explain it, but you feel it, the weight of it. Can I submit an idea? Emotional, spiritual, physical. All three are provisions. How many know in school, if you got 33%, that was an F? If we focus on finance, and that's all we do because we want to provide, we want to do well, take care of our family, but we miss emotional health, we miss spiritual health, we have failed. Balance. Learning how to create an environment where all those things matter, that's provision. And our culture has hardwired us with such a movement towards resource that a lot of times as men, we just feel like. And ladies, I'm not completely extricating you from this. I'm just saying I think it's a uniquely male thing to feel the pressure of that. And guys, I wanna release you from that. You are called by God to create first and foremost, provide first and foremost a culture of heaven in your home. Hard work brings prosperity. Nowhere in that does it say a good-paying job brings prosperity. Hard work brings prosperity. It's a supernatural law. If you're diligent and you work hard and you give yourself to the things the Lord has given you, he will prosper you, period. It's disconnected from the payroll number. It's supernatural law. Some of you in here have lived that and seen it and went, man, it's so true. 
There are seasons in our life we look back across history. There are seasons where I can tell you for sure the numbers didn't make sense, but somehow we came out on top because the Lord was faithful. As men, we should take a deep breath and go, I'm not the provider. He's the provider. I'm just a conduit. I'm faithful to follow, to listen. But it's him, not me. Why? Paul says, look, this world's going to pass away. It's going to burn. No matter how pressing the situations around you seem, Jesus still has to be number one. Has to be. And he goes on, he says, and he, talk, he moves back to this place of, in case, you, in case you might not want to get married, let me tell you all the pros of it. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking about how to please him, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife, so we don't get totally off the hook, guys. Paul says, look, you do have to, like, be good. You have to be a good husband. His interests are therefore divided, and in the same way the woman who's no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. And I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks he's treating his fiance improper, improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as soon as he wishes. It's not sin. But if he's decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries, his fiance does well. The person who doesn't marry does even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's a free woman to marry anyone she wishes, but only if they love the Lord. It's my opinion. In my opinion, it'd be better for her to stay single. And I think I'm giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. There's a couple things in there I want to hit real quick before we wrap this up. Remarriage. Situation where husband and wife are married, one of them passes away. The loneliness sets in, a person says, I really want to remarry. Paul's really clear. It has to be in the kingdom. I think the scriptures are incredibly clear. It's sin to marry an unbeliever in that situation. We don't like absolutes. We don't like black and white. In our culture, we try really hard to create lots and lots and lots of gray so people don't feel pinned in. I'm just saying, Paul doesn't do that here. He just says it has to be in the kingdom. What's he really trying to get at in all this? There's three phrases that he uses to highlight this whole passage. The time remains very short. The word is kairos. It is season. It means a season with a term. The word short, stileo, systileo, and it means an abridged timeline. There's something to be accomplished, and it has a timeline. The beginning is known, but the end is not. Consider that. He says the time that remains is short. There's something for us to accomplish. We know when it began, because we're here. But we don't know when the end is. And so Paul's admonition is for us to begin to focus on this with a little bit more concern. He says, I want you to be free from the concerns of life. This phrase, free from the concerns, means unencumbered by negative concern, not mired in life situations. And then I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best. 
The word literally means to move you towards what makes it easiest to serve Jesus. So what fights all three of these things? What fights our ability to understand the, the, the brevity of the timeline? What, what gives us, what makes it hard to be free from the concerns of life? What makes it hard to serve Jesus easy? It's a simple word, and Paul uses it. The word is distractions. Distractions, according to the dictionary, a thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. Let me give you some word pictures. Driving a car and texting at the same time. Both of them are good things in and of themselves. But when we do them together, they're not so good, are they? Because they both require focus. Tattoo artists. How many would like your tattoo artist to be focused? How many want your tattoo artist texting or watching TV with the other hand? No, because it requires focus. How many are in surgery, the situation, and your surgeon's super into baseball, and they're watching the Rockies home opener while they're sur doing surgery? That seems concerning. Because it requires focus. Let's bring it down to earth, make it a little more lighthearted. It's not about blood and guts. Hairstylist. How many have ever been to a hairstylist that was so engrossed in their conversation they weren't paying attention to what they're doing to your head? Right, it's bad, right? You end up leaving feeling very underserved because it requires focus. And they are people that we trust to remain focused in their pursuits. Could I suggest that the Lord has trusted us to remain focused in our pursuit? What does all that tell me? It tells me that there's a plan to distract us. Consider this. If the Lord's call is to be focused, then the reverse of that is the enemy's going to work to distract us. And if there's a plan to distract us, it's because the potential in us is of high value. How do we walk without distraction? I want to take you real quickly. We have, uh, if you're new here, you've never been here, you're like, well, he's still going. You only have seven minutes. I promise you, you'll be gone. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 and 40 says, Now as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Could I suggest that the illusion that the enemy loves to bring into our lives that is intended to rob our focus is that he uses good things, even good things that need to be done to distract us from the greatest thing? Jesus said what Mary was doing was the good part. What was she doing? Listening to his voice. The word voice here is logos. It means she was sitting here in direct download from him. 
And I think there's an agenda from the enemy to keep us as busy as we need to be to keep us from sitting at the feet of Jesus to learn from him. And no matter what we put, what, no matter what title we put on it, no matter what justification we have for it, anything that we allow to rob us of sitting at his feet is a distraction. I don't have, I just can't. I'm not a morning person. Not true. Go to bed earlier. You'll be fine. just a reality. Go to bed earlier. You'll be fine. Set 12 alarms. I don't care. What's it look like for us to have such a passion to sit and hear his voice that we will do whatever it takes? I will promise you this. If I told you, if you get up at 530 for the next 33 days, I will give you a million dollars. Every single one of you would get up at 530 for the next 33 days because I hit a value button that matters. So what really this means is the value of his voice is low enough in us that it doesn't cause us to want to do something to adjust our culture. And when you live in the counsel of his voice, you're living in a place where there's a protection of kingdom focus because he's speaking, he's releasing, he's giving you directives. Life is way simpler than we make it in the kingdom. It's all about being consistent in intimacy with him. Your relationship with Jesus is intended to be the focus of our life because everything else flows from there. We don't add him to what we are. He is what we possess. Everything else releases from that. Let's stand. Lord, we stand before you this morning just so grateful for your presence and for the, just the ease of your presence this morning, the joy of the Lord. It is our strength. And I would ask right now for every person in this room that there would be a release of fresh joy. And Lord, for, uh, every, for every person in this room, there would be a fresh invitation and call to the secret place. That we would be people that hear your voice, encounter you, and live with such a pursuit and such a focus of who you've called us to be. Lord, for right now, every distraction that has been released by the enemy into our lives, Holy Spirit, would you speak into those? Would you begin to unravel the distractions, unravel the lies? And would you draw us back to that pure devotion that Mary had, where we are people that will let nothing get in the way of hearing you? We love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at VintageCityChurch.com.